Welcome back, dealership fix it people, the fixers. <laughs> um, hey, it's Brian Croft, and we are here with episode number 51. Uh, today I've got a special guest from Triumph North America. I've got Terry Lynn on with me, and she is at Triumph, and uh, I'll let her tell you a little bit about what she does. Um, but uh, buckle up, here we go. Terry. Hey, Brian. Hey. Super glad to be here today. How are you? Thank, I'm awesome. I'm I'm doing great to be able to do this for a living. You know, what we do or, or this, you know, sitting here talking on a podcast about power sports stuff. Um, will you uh, do the audience uh, a quick uh, kind of who you are and uh, where you've been, uh, short or long as you want? Go for it. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thank you. I'd love to. <laughs> I'll try not to get too long-winded. Um, so I'm here at Triumph Motorcycles America. Uh, I've been here for a little over two years now in the role of clothing and accessories manager. So uh, probably arguably one of the most challenging departments in the business. You know, moving the metal is, is something that is important to all dealers and, uh, of course, to Triumph as well. And the accessory bits and clothing, clothing bits that come after are a little more challenging. But it certainly um, keeps me busy. I don't ever get bored around here. So mm-hmm. uh it's been great. But uh, previous to that, I've actually been in the industry since about 2002. I, I jokingly always say I crashed my way into the motorcycle industry. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton in the Marines for a little over nine years. And at that time, I uh, was racing motorcycles uh, in, in and around Southern California and had a bit of an accident at Willow Springs. And as a result of that, ended up transitioning out of the Marine Corps. And I was really fortunate to land a sales gig uh, with uh, Le Mans Corporation, which as you know, is Parts Unlimited, um, but for specifically Icon Motorsports as a product specialist. And that kind of led me into the sales and, and new brands in the power sports industry. So it's been really exciting. Um, I, I've always seemed to land at smaller brands and, and see them through some growth and development of their awareness in the industry. So started at Icon and then uh, followed one of my coworkers at the time to Scorpion Sports. And so Scorpion, as you know, we we started as a little helmet company. And, and at the time that I was there and, and towards the end of my tenure there, I ended up working with Matt Maladin as his final year of racing in the U.S. So that was really exciting. And then from there, I ended up moving to the East Coast and worked with Liat, uh, Liat Protective Selling Neck Braces and that was probably one of the more challenging times in my sales career because Liat, as you know, is a pretty fantastic product, but talking to moms about the reason why their kids should wear neck braces because, you know, neck injuries can, can, oh, yeah. uh, you, you know, oh, yeah. all the rest of that. So, so definitely challenged the sales skill, but what a fantastic brand to work with. And I'm, I'm still a fan of the brand, but uh, continued on, ended up doing some time out of the industry as an Eastern Regional Manager for Lululemon, which I jokingly say selling stretchy pants sometimes is, is more challenging than selling protective apparel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but definitely learned a lot at my time at Lululemon, just their their importance that they place on the customer and customer service. And, and that's really been a theme of my career is is making sure that the customer is feeling served and, and how we can better support that. And I think that's some of the things that I'd love to talk with you today about. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I'm all, I'm all for it. You know, you and I, uh, 
linked up where through LinkedIn first, but um, where did you find out about the podcast? Ah, it's funny you ask. Actually, my husband who works at Stasic, so that's the the e-balance bike for kids, he mentioned it to me uh, partially because I have a pretty long commute. <laughs> I live north of Atlanta and I work at Triumph, which is literally right by Hartsville-Jackson Airport. And so getting through the city sometimes is challenging. And if you have ever attempted getting through Atlanta in rush hour, it's, it's quite a challenge. So uh, listening to things on my drive is key. So he mentioned... Um, that that you were out there and so I started listening and you know I probably listened to five or six episodes and I was like well this is interesting at this point I've heard two of the gentlemen that are in the Triumph Dealer Network and then also Larry Little um, from the MIC and I, and I was literally fresh off of um, sitting in front of Larry Little at the Motorcycle Industry Council Symposium so it was like well this is serendipitous this is my turn I definitely want to have a chat on the podcast so here I am <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know if, um, I mean, not that you would know this, but, uh, you, you've, you're on top of the podium. You're the first lady, um, person I've had on the first lady, uh, guest I've had on the podcast. So. Oh, well, look won. at that. <laughs> <laughs> not for lack of trying. I have several, uh, ladies that I've spoken to, uh, ongoing, uh, obviously, as you know, maybe less ladies in the space that, um, so the numbers aren't with me. I have to probably work a little harder to get the ladies perspective in this and on this show. So. Ah, I can help you round up a couple, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's what we need to do. We need to make sure we're, we're, we're speaking to everybody as I, I typically say, you know, have said on here that the reason I'm even doing this, I'm really trying to talk to, for me, I'm talking to myself when I was about 20, ish years old and I started in the business and I was a parts kid, you know, a service and then to parts. And uh, I usually talk from the perspective I'm talking to me then with the things I didn't know then and, and the things I wanted to learn, but where do you learn them? Um, so that's really what this is all from. So I'd, I'd love the, to be able to add the perspective that I'm a, a woman, woman in this business would have that I certainly can't speak to. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I, I will help as much as I can, and then I'll certainly point you in the direction of a few others that I know have some, some pretty strong voices. It was funny at the um, symposium, there was a couple of the gals that I have in mind, actually, and we were talking about uh, one of the big pieces that Larry brought up and, and the symposium was pushing is more riders riding more. And one of the gals that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, her name is Jan Plesner. She was at Kawasaki for, I think, over 23 years. Um, she's now a recruiter in our industry, but she, um, she said, you know, this is probably one of the most challenging things is getting the full spectrum of demographic in. And she said, I worked at it for 23 years and I can't say that I was successful. But what I can say is putting on the right lens because it really takes one to know one, so to speak in marketing. And so making sure the marketing messages make sense and um, it's great perspective. And I think a lot of, um, well, it was interesting at the symposium, they had us do a bit of a, a test on ourselves, our individual brands and how we thought we were doing. And I actually only, um, and I think Triumph does a pretty good job at this, but I rated us a three out of five because when I look back at, um, the marketing that we do and, and the messages that we push, we don't always encompass everyone. So I think we all have some room to grow. And, and that's really the whole premise of the more riders who are riding more from the Motorcycle Industry Council. You and I talked about um, your sort of, uh, I don't want to say introduction, but definitely a, a scenario that played out for you when you um, went into a motorcycle shop. 
that was less than less than stellar, let's call it. Um, yeah. You want to share that story with? Uh, yeah, I certainly do. And I've shared it a few times. So I think some of the um, triumphulers that might be listening today to the podcast have heard this, uh, particularly like one of the training seminars that we did. But uh, I was probably 22 years old living in Southern California. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton at the time. And, and at that point, I was somewhat transitioning from riding just um, almost wholeheartedly, I was off-road and I had been riding since I was a kid, but I grew up on a farm. So it was usually ATVs and, and dirt bikes kind of happened as I got become an adult, but um, I wanted to be able to ride more. So I decided that I wanted to get um, a specific motorcycle and I, I walked into my local shop and it had been a shop that I had been to uh, for servicing and products for my dirt bike. So I walked in and I had it picked out and I waited and waited literally just to be acknowledged what was frustrating. And so at the point where I was kind of over it, I walked up to the sales desk and I said, Hey, I'm going to buy that motorcycle today. And, and the gentleman there said, no, I can't sell it to you. And I kind of got this funny look on my face. What do you mean you can't sell it to me? I, you know, I've got, I got money and if I don't have all the money I need, I know I have the credit. And um, he looked at me just dead town and said, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. You'll kill yourself. And um, you know, call it the perspective that I had then. I think if somebody said that to me today, I probably would have responded differently, but I was embarrassed. I was frustrated and I turned around and walked out the door and that was that. Um, and thinking about it today, the amount of motorcycles that I purchased and, and the amount of gear and helmets and all of the things combined, I, I feel like that dealership really lost an opportunity for a, a customer, a lifelong customer, uh, or at least as long as I was living there and stationed there. And and I've heard this several occasions, not just me being a female rider, but I mean, a, a very similar situation happened to my husband. I've heard other scenarios that uh, this has happened and, and not one, not very long ago, literally just after Black Friday, this happened to a friend of mine. And so I'm, I'm wondering what it is that's creating this um, customer service piece that's really missing within the dealership. Do you imagine that that's at least lessening? In the in the likelihood of it occurring in some sort of way, I just think that's wacky that that would occur. But obviously, I've worked at shops for enough years, so I know that you know there's people that put their ego on, and, and they're in you know let's call it sales or any any position where you're talking to a customer, um, and you know maybe they're unchecked until it becomes a problem. But do you feel like is that at least lessening now? Are people you know <laughs> with your interaction or stories you hear? Do you, do you hear like is that sort of stuff still occur? I'm hoping that this was enough years ago that we're on the road to, to this not occurring anymore, but is it? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I guess I really don't know the answer, but so my perspective and my story really was, and, you know, I've since researched the gentleman that said that to me. And so um, to tell the rest of the story, and I guess from his perspective was here comes a young female Marine. And he knew actually that I had been riding dirt bikes, but it was certainly during that time frame when Marines were coming home from overseas and they, you know, kind of had this mentality of nothing can hurt me. And there was a lot of Marines, especially around Camp Pendleton, buying really big displacement motorcycles and, you know, not getting very far down the street and having fatal accidents. So I understand that. And I think the conversation could have looked a little bit different, you know, so a piece of the puzzle was missing for me and it took me some years and some research to figure it out. However, one of the stories that comes to mind um, literally just happened with a friend of mine right after black Friday. So um, he had saw a, a sale going down and it was um, a, a, an off-road bike. So he 
walked in, talked to the salesperson. They had a really great conversation, but he wasn't ready to pull the trigger just yet. And, and this is, you know, for whatever reason, he had to go check finances, have a conversation with his wife, what have you. Um, so he ended up coming back, I think it was the following weekend, and he had cash in hand. And he approached the sales guy, and the sales guy said, no, I can't honor it for you. And, you know, that must have been on a 2019 model that you're talking about. And and my friend looked, and he, he could see where the green tag was hang, hanging, but pulled off. So he asked him about it. And um, basically, the guy said there was nothing that he could do for him and, and turned him away. And and to me, I feel like, okay, if you couldn't honor the price, what are the other things that you could have done potentially for service or, or maybe some credit in, in some parts, clothing, or accessories or other things? But now the perception that's left with a friend of mine that walked into to buy this motorcycle, he said, I'll, I'll never go back there. And not only that, not only did the dealership lose the sale and the ongoing sales, but also the OEM of that um, that transaction is lost as well because he ended up going to a different manufacturer. And so from my perspective, the dealership is losing out, but so are we as OEMs losing out. And so my question is, and, and maybe I can get this from you, what's your perspective? What are the things that we can do to provide those you know, frontline salespeople with, with the tools that they need to ask the right questions? Because I think if my buddy walking into this shop maybe would have had the other perspective or if there was more to the story, uh, he wouldn't have gone down the road and bought something else. Well, there's, I mean, I go a lot of different ways, I guess, with it from my perspective anyway, but, um, yeah, you're exactly right. You think about is a, you know, is a menu like the, whoever the, the rep from the field that covers that territory, are they familiar with what's going on that somebody's, you know, getting a bad experience at the, at the brand that's in the market, supposedly representing them, you know, that that's bad on the dealer. Um, hopefully the OEM has a way to tap into that. Hopefully the ownership at the dealership does things like listens to phone calls if they've got recorded phone calls because right. that's a great you know third party uh secret squirrel you know listening in and just being like okay that's that went how i'd want okay we're on the same page or not um i think i find you know so odd having been a representative of a brand like you know a manufacturer in in a given market and understanding the struggles that go with that, you know, what, what exists today for, let's call it market share, are we growing or shrinking and kind of what that looks like and where the opportunity is. Because I think um, when you work for a brand like I did and obviously like you do, or, or in fact, you're a representative, maybe even more so if you're the representative in the market, you're a dealership that has, you know, one brand, two brands, three brands. Well, you've somehow, uh, some of the brands, I think representatives in a market sometimes believe those who want this brand already know it and they're going to come to me, right? There's this whole like, uh, you know, this, we've got what they want. And I, I like to point out, at least in the role that I do now with Cycle Trader, we can look at that data. When you're a dealer, it's pretty obvious that very few, I think, at least people searching these days are married to brand up front. I think they're they're looking for the experience. They're looking for a certain here's whether it's I'm looking for a bike in more of a standard uh, seating position or name that sort of uh, setup or I'm looking for an adventure bike in this sort of price point. What's out there for me? I think I think what I find is people are easily diverted and right. where the difference can be made is just by that stellar experience and uh, you know I'm a big advocate for customer uh, customer service, customer experience. I, you know, always trying to find a way to, to crush it, you know, like establishing 
what level of uh, expectation the person in front of you has and then trying to find just enough to at least beat it, if not crush it, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think you're certainly onto something as far as uh, being able to persuade somebody and, and just thinking from the, the female category in general, um, earlier on when I was somewhat new to street riding, one of the things that in my peers, and we had a little group of girl riders, um, one of the things that was always talked about is what is the motorcycle that has a seat height that is more accommodating? And so, you know, particularly in that demographic of riders, that's a big important piece is like, can I comfortably maneuver this motorcycle? And, and really not every brand is going to offer that. And so, you know, and that doesn't apply to everyone, but I would say those people in the adventure category, there's some pretty key things that they're looking for there. And if, a specific manufacturer doesn't offer that, then it's not even going to be on the table. And so you're right. It's, and I think it comes down to an experienced salesperson having a conversation and, and really getting into a relationship with that person that walked through the door. And I guess my question would be, are they allowing the time to do that? Uh, where are they placing their priorities? And then when they do uncover those things and they have a direction, do they have the authority to do something on the sales floor um, if somebody's away or if somebody's, you know, out of the shop for the day? And, and are they able to at least communicate, okay, this would be my suggestion to you or you, the customer, this is what I would suggest, but it's going to take me some time to work the deal on my side or, you know, whatever that is, but that conversation I think is really important for the customer because looking back now, my experience, I think if I would have known more, he probably could have talked me into another motorcycle because I was pretty easily talked into another motorcycle when I went down the street to another shop. So <laughs> there you mm -hmm. have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your, your, your ultimate result, there's, there's lots of options to at least get down the path to that. Now, certainly there's brands like Triumph and, and people are, you know, a diehard for the brand and, and they give you the shot first. Like you're saying, maybe, you know, if they go in for brand X and the, the representatives of that in the market, just it's underwhelming them. You know, that's one of those things you've, you've then you've left, left, you know, yourself exposed to opportunity from others to, to outdo that and potentially, uh, to, I don't know, shift the scales, you know, so to speak. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me, so, you know, in your role, uh, at Triumph, what, what sort of things are you recommending um, to your dealers? And I don't know, maybe that's a secret. Maybe you don't want to talk about it because that's what you're recommending to your team and you don't want others non, <laughs> not on the Triumph train, right, to, to know about it. But is there anything that you would uh, like to share about what you guys are recommending or what you're recommending? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. So Triumph has been transitioning from um, kind of a, a methodology that we had adopted several years ago to a new program, if you will. And so our focus really for the last year, even 18 months, I guess, is really a training element. And we frame it as tra training, but realistically what we do is we bring people into our head office or we, we host something off-site. And typically it surrounds a new product launch, but really what we want to do is get into conversation of, about a few key things. Number one is, and I think any manufacturer rep will say this, it's about on-hand inventory and whether or not that inventory is, is of the current year. And so helping uh, people within the dealership identify that, okay, these are Triumph items that you have. 
these are items that we can probably help you out with, um, whether it be sell-through, markdowns, um, working through that. So being real solutions focused about their on-hand inventory. Our goal really is to bring the on-hand inventory down so that it's turning more frequently. Um, and, and our goal would be within 15%. So the items that they purchase from us, um, within 15% of that is going out the door. So, you know, we're never going to be 100% accurate in each individual market or even in a subsidiary, if you will. We do the best that we can with the information that we have on hand. And so trying to see through the eyes of the dealership and the people that are on the floor having the conversation has been a real um, big focus for us. And then the next piece of it is the visual merchandising piece. And I, I laugh about it sometimes when I think about some of the um, things that I've witnessed over the years of visiting shops and, and what people call quote unquote visual merchandising, because sometimes I, I will have seen a shop um, as a representative for Leah, if you will. And then I go back, you know, multiple years later and I'm representing Tucker power sports and not very much has changed. And even some of the product is the same. And so it's just interesting what you'll see in a traditional retailer, like a Lululemon, if you will, or even a Cabela's, uh, the product is always changing. So every time the customer walks in the door, they see something different and they get in a very good routine about this is the hot selling season for this specific item. And once that selling season is over, you're marking it down so you can move it, move it out the door and something else will come in. And I think that process doesn't work so well in the power sports industry for whatever reason. And I try to ask as many questions as possible, but really what I've landed on is small businesses and, and a lot of our dealers are small businesses pay a certain amount for it and they have a hard time marking it down and losing margin because in our industry, there isn't a huge amount of margin to begin with. Um, and so really our goal is to let's, let's get the inventory down to a, a really uh, dialed in level and just turn the product. And that's been a process. I mean, we've been at it for, like I said, about 18 months to a year and, and we're not there yet. Um, and the biggest thing is really getting into conversation with the parts representatives, the general managers and the dealer and having them understand that we do have their best interest at heart and we actually need their help to guide us in the products that we bring in from our vendors overseas as well. And so um, working together and hunker down because this industry isn't easy, um, you know, and we, we need to think smart and work together to be successful. Yeah, I, I totally see it. And I think, um, you know, I think Triumph, for example, in all the stores I've walked into that, that represent Triumph, at least, you know, on the West Coast and different parts of the country that, that I've been in and out of in the last, let's call it 10 years, Triumph's generally, a, uh, in my opinion, a better example than many, right, in terms of how they merchandise the brand and kind of what calls out to people to more than just the motorcycles as far as the branding. And that's obviously important, but... As you know, you know, we've got people at a dealership location. A lot of times they're, they get a little bit of blindness to what's going on in their location until they go elsewhere, get that sort of perspective. But uh, from my experience at dealerships, you know, they, they we all in, in, in dealerships and in power sports need to definitely be smarter and better. We can be smarter. We can learn new tricks on, on okay, what's appealing. Okay, what are other industries doing? And I think that's a lot of it seems like what you guys are plugging in. Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, it's been a learning experience, I think, from all of us too. Because one of the things that we forget, obviously, sitting in a in a head office and in cubicles, is what's practical and what's realistic within the dealerships as well. Um, you know, I hear it all the time. Hey, I'm running a lean staff. When am I supposed to do this? 
Um, and maybe that's the next element of training that needs to come out. You know, what, how do you time block? How do you prioritize when you're in that, in that role where you're holding several different hats, if you will. And, you know, from this point of the day to this point of the day, this is when you do your orders or respond to emails. And, you know, it's pretty easy to do when you're in an office and in a controlled environment, but when you're, when you're sitting in a dealership and you're kind of relying on the traffic flow and, and when it's a little bit quote unquote slow, so you can do things, I, I can see how that's challenging. And so, I mean, realistically, it's just, um, it's a little bit of trial and error and, and hopefully providing some tools that are relevant to the dealers. And, um, and a lot of our training, when we do merchandising specific, I, we say all the time, Hey, this is not specific to triumph. These principles are merchandising principles that you'll see at any retail environment that you go into as well. So if you're a, you know, have another OEM within your store, apply these principles to the product and your dealership as a whole will, will elevate because we can all fall under the same rules and principles when it comes to merchandising and customer service. Well, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. Hey, we're back. I got uh, Terry Lynn from Triumph on with me. We were talking about things like customer service, um, you know, customer, the experience and, and how important that is. Obviously uh, what she, kind of she's got going on at Triumph and the direction they're trying to go. Uh, to help their dealers, obviously you guys that are of that franchise. Um, some of the stuff that you and I were talking about that we may want to expand on a little bit had to do with um, the concept of uh, riding cross country, you know, by yourself. Um, what, you know, what's all sort of wrapped up in that? What's the, what's the draw to it? Things like growing the industry. And there's a few topics we wanted to talk about. Um, I can tell you I've never taken a big cross country ride myself. Um, you know, other than I did about 2,500 miles, um, geez, was it this last year, um, on an adventure bike, uh, it was all street. Yeah. It was all street. So I can't say 2,500 miles off road. That would be a lot. Right. Um, <laughs> but I've never done the big trips cross country and I want to, um, that's something. Have you ever done that? So I have not gone across country yet. Um, it's funny. I, this past year, I, took a Triumph Scrambler, so we released the Scrambler 1200 XE, which I thought that motorcycle is just bad to the bone from the moment I saw it. And I said, that's it, I have to buy it, and I'm going to ride it to Sturgis. Um, so I did, rode it to Sturgis so I could go ride with my mom up there. So, um, yeah, it was um, quite a journey. But it was interesting the whole time, you know, stop for gas, and people always want to have a conversation with you when you're on an eye-catching motorcycle mm -hmm. and that one certainly is and so the conversation starts and then they look at the license plate and then the next question is you're riding all by yourself <laughs> and I said well there's I usually say my my stock response is well there's not much room for anyone else on here <laughs> um but you know I know what they're getting at is you know you're on a motorcycle and you're thousands of miles from home or hundreds of miles from home and um you know for me it's just incredibly empowering and fun and there's something about being on a motorcycle and smelling all the smells and, and seeing things from a different perspective. And I, I want more people to experience that. And that's one of the things that the, um, the motorcycle industry council symposium, the more riders riding more. I mean, that hit home for me. That's such a part of why I'm here in this industry. And I, I want to see more, um, people in general riding, but I certainly want to see more women riding motorcycles and, at the symposium, I was introduced to a gal named Alisa Clickinger, and she got into motorcycle riding, I think, um, 
after some changes in her life. And, you know, she just, she said, I gained my confidence through riding motorcycles. So she's organizing this big ride across the country next year um, called the Centennial Ride. And I don't know for sure if I'm going to be able to do the whole thing. I'm, I've got my eyes on another ride that I want to do, but she um, she's heading this up. But she does women motorcycle tours. So she's really made it accessible for women to, to get on rides and, and meet people um, and, and do more of that. So anyways, I just think it's important for people to take the time to do that. So Great, I encourage you as well. Get that trip. On the on the calendar. <laughs> yeah, I um I do have a, a big one coming up here next summer. It's not big cross country wise, but it's going to be big northwest wise, and a few of my friends uh, coming up from a lot further away. So it's it's kind of I get home court advantage here, which is nice. I'm looking forward to that. But I am still I am still planning on doing a ride to Tennessee, potentially beyond. I've got a couple of friends beyond that have said, if you're coming all the way to Tennessee, you better come to the Carolinas and visit me. I'm like, okay, I'm doing coast to coast, apparently. Uh, how many, you know, how much time do I, am I prepared to to, <laughs> to use to do it? So it's, a, it's yeah. a definitely my to-do list. I think it's important. And, and I don't know how, um, you know, having worked at shops for a lot of years, I don't know how easy these days, if it's like it was, you know, in the old days for me there, uh, it's certainly not easy for somebody that works in, let's call it retail, right? to go and do yeah, that. Certainly. So I'd like to think, you know, maybe, maybe as you'd mentioned, and as I'm now saying, maybe that's something that, um, you know, ownership of shops and management of shops needs to start considering, you know, do I have somebody that would want to be, um, a rider and go do a big ride? You know, uh, maybe that's something you want to encourage them to do somehow. I don't know, you know, how you do that exactly, but, um, I can tell you that wherever I'd worked, I was never encouraged to take a week off especially when the yeah. weather was any any good, you know, like, no, 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 you are absolutely needed. We are understaffed and, and uh, we're over each and uh, one of us is overburdened. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, Isn't that the longstanding joke though? You, you start working in the motorcycle industry and then you don't ride anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more because I think in a lot of the conversations that I've had with dealerships in various parts of the country, particularly in the North though, um, a lot of their staff is quote unquote seasonal. So in the other months they're, they're not, um, they don't have a full staff. And I mean, what a cool opportunity if you could somehow have those, uh, those people riding and representing you on social maybe, or, or I think there's some creative something that those dealerships can do on, you know, maybe even if they sponsored the gas, I mean, that would probably cost less than having that person on full time, uh, polishing windowsills in the wintertime or something, you know, I think there's maybe some value in, in some social media. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing things out there, but I can tell you um, when I did my journey from Atlanta to Sturgis, I did take some vacation days, but I also did visit some Triumph dealerships along the way. And um, it, a couple of them, uh, Baxter Cycles, uh, particularly in Marnie, Iowa. So if you've ever been to Marnie, Iowa, there's not a whole lot going on with the exception of Baxter, Baxter cycle. So, um, they did a scrambler 1200 demo day. Um, we did some product, uh, discounts that day, a little Q and a, I mean, they kind of used the visit as a, as a reason to bring customers into the store. And so I guess I had that as an advantage, but um, I think I visited five dealerships along the way and, and answered questions, did some visual merchandising training stuff. Um, so I was fortunate to be able to, to link it together and not everyone has that, but I think when there's a will, there's a way, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Speaking of uh, 
cross country. Um, you and I talked about it, but it's just funny how it linked up. You and I talked last week about doing this, and it was the day of your stop of that uh, Best of British Tour in Portland, Oregon, right? And, and I can tell you that I've never once been to a motor. I lived here for now 10, 12 years in this area, and I've never once been to a motorcycle show. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm like a dealer guy, and I'm like, eh, I'm around motorcycles plenty. I don't want to, in the <laughs> evening hours, want to go to them. I'll ride them, but I don't want to go to it. Like, and I saw your guys' uh, promotion of that Best of British Tour on Facebook. It was like a sponsored post, I think is where I saw it. Yeah, And I was like, neat. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's here. Okay. Where's that at? I looked and I was like, that looks neat. And I looked at pictures of previous ones. Of course, I'm probably, I don't know, assuming I'm, I'm not in the market for a triumph today, as much as I'd love to say, yes, I'm looking for these three bikes. Um, I'm not, but I'm, I was really uh, interested to go and check it out. And of course, having talked to you, so I went to it and, and, uh, you know, I'm glad to expand on that in a different episode so we don't run out of time, but, um, that show was really neat. And I think that's something that, um, you know, a dealer, yeah, Triumph or not, you should, if you don't know about that Best of British Tour, should look that thing up uh, on social, or not on social media, just look the site up and check out the pictures from previous events. And just a really low key, kind of a cool, uh, you know, you got some, here's the the sweet new uh, bikes on their new color schemes being unveiled. Um, it was neat. That was a neat, a neat program. Yeah, we, um, this is our third year now doing these tours. This one, if you if your uh, listeners are curious, it's triumphontour.com, and then you can pick your uh, city near you. But really what it allows us to do is show off the new motorcycle, often several months before the dealers will actually get them in-house. And so, you know, I think all, all of us in the OEM space do a really good job on the Internet showing videos and still images, but uh, you can't really replace that ability to see the motorcycle, touch it, feel it, ask questions of the representatives that are there. Mm -hmm. And then we often have them in unique locations, um, sometimes in breweries or museums or what have you. And then typically there's some fun kind of engagement thing going on. I think in Jersey City, there was LED robots. What did they have in Portland? Um. So it was in this really cool uh, old warehouse that's, you know, kind of looks like it's partially restored. It's like clean and everything, but like all exposed walls. And um, it was it was a really neat location because it's, um, you know, right in downtown Portland. So visually, um, you can, you know, when you're in and out of the place, you can see it. And you're right, you know, right in the mix. And of course, pulling up, there's Triumph flags there and some cool uh, lighting on the front of the building with some like projecting lights and all the big old semi there with Triumph logos on it. It was, uh, nice. it was, it was really a neat, a neat deal. And I walked in, of course, you know, and I, I always hate to go to an event and be an industry guy and have, you know, people somehow give you a special treatment like, Oh, you know, <laughs> like if it's a paid event, which these were free, you just had to have signed up, um, the event bright, I think is what you guys use, um, yeah. to get a ticket, you know, do your ticket. So you're kind of, you're committed and they you know kind of who's coming. But it was neat because I came in and I didn't feel, I felt like, okay, I can, I can blend in and feel normal here. There's no sort of, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know really how to phrase it without getting, sounding uh, a little bit goofy on here about it. But sometimes you show up and, and people, you know, fall over themselves for you because you do something in the industry. And I, I, thankfully I was just in there. My wife and I could walk around. We went and got a drink and got a free drink coupon, right? Uh, that yeah. Everybody got, we didn't get that ourselves, but we did go get our free drink and wandered around and it was just a cool, cool event. And it was, for me, it was a reason for her and I to get away 
we generally can't, you know, find a, a sitter to do something. We got that lined up for this and it worked out good. And what's funny, she, uh, <clears throat> she tells me she never plans to be a rider. She plans to be a passenger. And I don't know if that's the right terminology to use, right? I'm, yeah. Uh, she doesn't plan to drive the motorcycle, right? That's not what I would ever say, but she doesn't ever plan to be at the controls. She loves to ride with me. We right. were there and she still doesn't ever plan to be at the controls, but she liked the rocket three. Oh, <laughs> oh man. But, I mean, there was more than one that she was like, Ooh, that's pretty. Oh, I like this about it. Right. So it was this neat scenario where my wife who will ride with me, but really doesn't care about motorcycles, you know, does could care right. less, but she likes to, to ride with me. And when we go and we're sitting there, her and I staring at them together, it was a neat, uh, a neat time that, you know, I've, her and I've never done something like that before. So I guess bravo to Triumph for doing something that got us out of our comfort zone, right? Even though yeah. I've been in this business forever, I should be the most comfortable, but her and I going and doing it was, it was a neat event. I just encourage anybody to look at the schedule and if it's anywhere near you, go check it out in your space. I love it. It sounds like you're halfway there to a new rocket, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Because like, isn't that what we normally hear? Oh, I got to talk to the wife. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that excuse is well, financially she can still, she'll still step in and override that potentially. But yeah, when you, when you've got one layer of buy-in, that might just be enough, uh, sort of blood in the water, right? When you're, when you're, when you're a rider and you want more motorcycles. Yeah. That's, you know, that's uh, kind of, I, I laugh about that because in our household, it's, the two of us are always buying new bicycles or motorcycles. So I don't know who's protecting our financial household when it comes to <laughs> motorcycles. <laughs> All bets are off. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've, uh, you're investing on the future of motorcycling, but with each other exactly. and, and your massive exposure with all your your motorcycles for at least your neighborhood, right? And, and anywhere you yeah. touch when you ride. So um, there you go. We're gives, doing our part. That gives me a good segue, you know, on on getting new riders exposed to it. Now we've, we've mentioned, you know, we mentioned in here earlier uh, more riders, new riders from the MIC symposium. But what's your take on? I mean, you have definitely a, a unique and uh, intimate. Um, uh, plug into this, you know, getting young folks on bikes at the level of whether it's the little uh, just able to do a balance bike and twist a little electric throttle. Um, where do you feel like we're at on that? And are we on a good track? And what needs to change to get us back? Well, I think um, kids are going to mimic what they see their parents do, right? So uh, our industry is growing, certainly. Um, I think, I think I heard you say in one of the podcasts previously, we're up to 8% of the market has some sort of power sports, something in their household. Uh, but I think the next step of that is, okay, if that 8%, how much of that percent is, um, just the husband or just the wife and, and does the whole family embrace it? And I think safety is one of the big things. Um, there's people jokingly talk about helicopter parents and not allowing kids to do things anymore. And I remember growing up, geez, and we'd leave the house first thing in the morning and wouldn't come back until we were hungry. And that might've been lunchtime or that might've been dinner time. But nonetheless, we were outside playing and riding bikes and throwing sticks and shooting BB guns and whatever. Uh, it's different now. I mean, we're in more um, urban areas and so you can't allow your kid to do that all the time. So if you get specifically into the motorcycle world, um, how can we make that more accessible? And um, my daughter, um, cause she's seven now going on 17, it feels like sometimes, but um, one of the gentlemen that used to work for me bought her a, um, a little Strider bike when she was, could barely walk. Uh, but literally I have pictures of her following her dad around um, in a, a little downtown area that we lived. And that's really where it started. And so, 
fast forward uh, till she was four, we actually were one of the first orders for the Stasic um, balance stability cycle, literally first shipping container. And we were all eagerly wondering if it was going to get here before Christmas. So that's what she ended up getting for her fourth birthday. Uh, she's seven now and we've put riser bars on it and have the seat as, as high as it'll go. And she's about worn out. I mean, it, it, um, it overheats because she has that throttle locked most of the time, um, which I love. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, she's wiped out. She's had a couple of pretty good diggers, but because as Matt and I have both been in this industry for quite some time, she's always geared up. And I think, Number one, the exposure is so important. Um, and then two, having uh, the kid on equipment that they feel comfortable with. I mean, the Stasic is so light. It's it's literally um, quite a bit. I, and I don't know statistics, but it's quite a bit lighter than the smallest equivalent motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really good entryway. And, and for now, we have, um, we're eagerly awaiting her E50, her KTM E50. Um, so she can kind of ride in those rural areas. Neighbors aren't going to get mad because they, they won't hear the bike and um, just making it accessible. And, and we need to do more of that. Um, Robert Pandia, who I'm sure you're familiar with, he has this uh, kids on bikes. He's really pushing that, getting bicycles into the school system and at least making it accessible to communities. And I think getting kids on two wheels and being confident is going to translate to the power sports industry. And, and whatever I can do to support that, I'm certainly supporting it financially in my own household. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I need to spread the message more. Um, even with even with our own community, we're we're doing as much as we can. Um, in the spring of the year, I'm I'm part of an organization called Little Bellas, which it's in the bicycle industry, but I really still think that there's crossover there. Um, I'm sure you've seen uh, if you've visited any of the IMS shows giant bicycles is there with their e-bikes. So there's a lot of um, e-bicycle manufacturers making their way into the power sports industry. And I think that's the next wave. Even Triumph has an e-bicycle that will be available in 2020. Um, I think we start receiving them in May of the year. So those lines between bicycles and and, uh, motorcycles are getting blurred. And I think it's just getting more riders riding more. So the MIC is definitely onto something. The, um, yeah, it's, we, we had a, um, a Strider bike for my, I've got an eight year old and a six year old. So they're my, my little ones. Right. And they, uh, they both had a, well, the first one had a Strider bike and the second one started riding. And of course, Strider bikes, they pick up like a snap, you know? And what's funny is they didn't ride those a whole lot. I can tell you, because we have such bad seasonality here with just rain and cold because like, I don't want to ride a bike or whatever, you know? So we didn't, we didn't use them. <clears throat> very much when we first had gotten them, but they got enough exposure to it that the next year they were immediately like, Oh, this is easy. Can I ride my bike? And they had training wheels. Well, I pulled training wheels right off the, the yeah. he, you know, when he, he, he was many, this is several years ago, but they were on the younger side, I guess, compared to their friends. Because what I found was the, the parents of, you know, my kids friends would say to us, Oh wow, they, they're already riding without training wheels on a bicycle. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, well, how did you do that? I mean, you want to work with my kid? That was one of these things. That yeah. I'm like, it's not me doing something special. I think, you know, they were exposed to this on a platform that wasn't scary and it just, it just translated. Right. So I feel like that was a no brain. We ended up uh, giving that actually to the, uh, the, uh, in-home uh, daycare and uh, preschool that both kids went to. We ended up giving that to them once the kids moved onto bicycles without training wheels. Um, so yeah, perfect. I, I, I like to imagine that it's continuing to do its job at that preschool and she keeps it there. Um, 
I I wanted to call out, I guess, in, in you know, this is me taking sort of a stand on something. When, when you said, when you were talking about bikes, e-bikes in dealerships, I want to make sure that almost none of what I've seen happen and you've seen happen uh, in dealerships is the uh, sort of, um, what do we call it? We call it the tribal mentality in the uh uh, what's my friend Michael Jones call it? He calls it the kingdom game. Don't play the kingdom game, right? And I'm calling you out, Michael. That's a it's just a killer, a killer thing to talk about. <clears throat> what I don't want to have happen, excuse me, as as we continue on in, in a lot of these areas splinter out, we have to embrace, encourage. I, you know, I'm telling you, I'm saying it on the show. I'm not telling you because you're with me on this, but at, yeah. dealer, at dealership level, when it starts to be like, hey, one of the brands we represent has this e-bike and it's kind of got pedals and and it's got a throttle too because it's a pedal assist or it doesn't have pedals so it's like a motorcycle but not you know like i want the dealers who hear this and tell all your friends that work at dealership too we're we're not going to say oh that's you know he's that's his uh thing now he need eventually he'll move up to a big bike and make it a, a problem like that like where We've played a kingdom right. game now. Now, at some point, you'll graduate to a real motorcycle. We're not. We don't need to do that. We need to not do that. That's exactly what exactly. we need not to do. And and I and I say that because I still hear it and I still hear it hap- of it happening. Let's give the example. If somebody walked into a Harley dealership, and I've heard it from um, enough people to know it still occurs. Um, a guy comes in, guy or gal comes in, they're real new. It's their first bike. They've got their endorsement. They come in and, and they're looking at name that, you know, entry level bike that exists there. And they might be a great candidate for it, but in the conversation they're made to feel like, yeah, this is a good starter machine for you, but eventually, you know, you'll need to graduate to a bagger. That's just right. one, that's just one example. And I'm not calling them out specifically. It's just the one that came to me initially, but I, I'm scared to death because I'm so excited about this sort of this fragmenting of what's the typical uh, motorcycle or power sports category machine that somebody buys. When somebody goes into a dealership and they're like, I'm not really interested in a motorcycle, but I like one of those three-wheeled things. I like that slingshot. I like that spider. Right. The, the, the resistance that it's met with by some people with this sort of kingdom game or tribal mentality, it's embrace them, bring them in. Because you know what? I'd like to have one of those things too. Now for me, it's not my cup of tea as my main driver, but that's, you know, the exposure to the shops being able to be uh, there to serve them for their experience needs. And, you know, maybe these are rentals or maybe they're purchased machines or whatever. But I guess that's my soapbox for the day and I generally don't do them. But I guess I would only call out <laughs> that the things you're talking about that are very positive in, in the cycle space and, in quote, transport that we, you know, a yeah. guy in a shop may not say as a motorcycle we need to be encouraging of them and embrace every opportunity that exists there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective. Just, I kind of had two thoughts when you were talking about that. First of all, the the e-bicycle world and, and whether or not it's wholeheartedly being embraced by power sports dealers. I can tell you just in my conversations um, since we went live with it, if you will, which was early on in November, I haven't had a ton of dealerships embrace it and you know for various reasons um but one area in in our industry that is embracing it is gncc you know they're doing um e-bicycle specific races and i think that all started because gncc racers could only pre check out the track they couldn't pre-ride it they could only either 
mountain bike it, walk it, or take an e-bike out. And then born of that now is this e-bicycle class of racing, which I think Specialized is involved in. And so um, GNCC has had a lot of entrance into the Power Sports Network, you know, e-bikes that way. So that's kind of interesting crossover there. Um, I did a visit through Canada at, uh, I think it was mid-September, and I noticed that actually more dealerships up up there had e-bicycles on their floor. And I just wonder if there was something about independent bicycle shops perhaps not embracing the the bicycle world. And then when I was in Long Beach for the uh, motorcycle show, I did in fact have a conversation and I did learn that a lot of the independent bicycle shops aren't really i mean they're a bit of the purist mentality so exactly what you're talking about that kind of kingdom you know this isn't a real bicycle you know and and realistically if if, in my mind it's an opportunity to sell something and create a relationship and you create a fantastic relationship that person is going to come back to do something with you if you give them the reason to or not they will never come back and the choice is yours (laughs) so um Make your another inter- yeah exactly um, another interesting side note so I mentioned earlier that my husband now works for Stasic and um, it's been so hit and miss um, and this is just through conversations that we have over the dinner table it's funny at our house work doesn't really go away because we truly live it and bounce ideas off one another but um, a lot of dealerships will say to him no I'm good and um, you know the thought process of, yeah, I'm good today, but you, you're truly going to be building customers for 10 years from now. And I know the incubation period feels like a long ways away, but if you intend to be in business in 10 years, I think the investment in something that's going to grow ridership and, and get mom coming in the store and get dad coming in the store and now creating this family environment is really important. And I'd like to be able to show them a crystal ball and say, hey, these these 10 or 15 um, Stasics that you're going to sell today, you're going to from that sell this many more motorcycles or this many more ATV, UTVs, uh, but you can't, right? It's just kind of a you know, faith in the process. But, but I can tell you it's certainly um, what it's done in our household alone. I mean, the three of us now, now can go out together and typically our daughter is on her Stasic and we're on pedal bikes. But as I mentioned earlier, we have the KTM E50 on the way, and that's going to be a game changer for us. Now, every single member in our family is on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we you know we we sure have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of change you know happening in the industry, and uh, I just you know I hope that too many guys aren't too dug in, right? Um, on you know, well, this is the way we've done it. This is the way I want to do it. Instead, of being open to those new ideas, like the Stasic machines or whatever. And I didn't mean to make this into a Stasic show, but obviously you've got a connection through Stasic. Yeah, I certainly. To, I wanted to make sure it, it covers the things that, you know, that you, uh, you do daily, but yeah, as you had said, you're, you're doing this daily too, talking about yeah. growing riders and, and that. Do you have, uh, do you have any big rides coming up? So I, yes, I still have to work out the logistics on this. So um, you may or may not have heard, well, you just saw it actually important. We, uh, Portland, we launched the new Tiger 900, which mm-hmm. looks to be an incredible machine. So uh, I had a Tiger 800, loved it, um, and then heard about the Tiger 900. And I'm like, well, I got to think of a big idea after this. So um, a year and a half ago, Triumph had this Atlac Tour, which for, stood for Atl- uh, Atlanta to Alaska. 
And I never made, I, I intended on hitting the last event. So that tour that you were, that you visited, it was a very similar thing, but it was for the Tiger 800. So anyways, now the 900 is born and I decided, you know what, I want to do the reverse trip. I want to ship my bike to Alaska. We have a dealership up there um, and take a ride. I'll probably make the pit stop in Sturgis for the event there. It's the 80th uh, anniversary of that event. And we're always set up for um, at the dealership there and we do demos and all of that. And then also I'll work my days at Sturgis and then I'll ride home. So logistically, I don't know how many days that's going to take, but I think it's going to be fantastic. And um my husband is trying to figure out how to do a, a leg of that as well. But, yep, on top of the new Tiger 900, uh, Alaska to Atlanta. Nice. That'll be killer. That bike, that was one of the ones that, of course, you know, I made my way around to it last. It was the last bike I looked at because there was a big crowd around it when I, right. <laughs> when I went to, you know, when they're, when they're showing it off and everybody. And I was like, okay, we'll start where the crowd isn't. And we moved around to the backside and just looks like an amazing bike. And I've just sold uh, my adventure bike here this summer. But, uh, Looking at that one, you know, it's, it's like, okay, does that, does that maybe more fit the bill to what I wanted? But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I do love your idea as well about the, and I, I don't know why I never thought about this. This is this, you, you've got the smarter program. It sounds like you're going to start in potentially the coldest and, and most inhospitable place. I mean, I guess you go yeah. in the right time of year. It's not, you know, it's not like you're going there now or anything, but, um, it's certainly going to be the toughest area, um, maybe to plan for and then getting to where it's a lot less cold and, uh, and that, that's a, that's a killer move. It probably make the ride a whole lot, uh, a lot smoother without having to go and try to buy yourself more gear on the way home somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I could just be, as I don't need things anymore, I'll just, uh, up at a local post office and ship it home. <laughs> <laughs> and so you said at Sturgis, you've got, you guys have a dealer in Sturgis there that, that does a demo rides. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, uh, we're actually at, in Rapid City. So okay. um, Rice's Rushmore Power Sports and, okay. and it's, it's a nice location. It's a little bit away from the craziness, but you can still enjoy all of the fun things. So yeah, this will be our third year now that we're set up there and, and doing demos and we're excited this year. So this past year, um, we had the rockets to show, but not to demo. So uh, going into it this year, we'll actually have rockets to demo, which, I mean, that was the, the number one question this past year is, can I ride it? And no, you can just look at it and listen and watch Ernie ride it right now because the two that we had were literally the only two in the country. So <laughs> <laughs> we trust you, but just not that much. Yeah, to, Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, shoot. Well, I know that I've used up all your time. I appreciate you jumping on with me. Um, I would like to ask real quick, do you, um, do you have anybody that you'd like to call out as, as, uh, you know, kind of in, in your career thus far, anybody that you'd like to give, uh, props to for helping you along the way or, um, somebody that you think we should have on the show or something along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I could probably give you a, a couple. Um, Genevieve Schmidt is a gal that has been in this industry for a long time and she founded women writers. Now she is, certainly somebody that I look, look up to and adore. Um, and then just from a mentor standpoint, I worked, um, directly for Eric Anderson and, and he's, gosh, he's been in this industry for a long time as well. Um, and I believe now he's working, uh, basically as a consultant with several brands, uh, but I worked with him at Scorpion sports and he was kind of the master of wild ideas that we could put to paper and make happen. Oh, and, um, that's, that's the people we need, right? We need all these people plugged in with their wild ideas and 
Yeah, he's one of those guys, if you talk to him about something, it's going to grow into way bigger than what you ever intended. And I think that that really is what brands need and, and people like me who I, I enjoy embrace the wild ideas. So, yeah, those two people, Genevieve Schmidt and Eric Anderson, I think those would be great people to get on the show. Okay. Well, those people have been called out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we need to work that out and get it going. If, even if it's into 2020, obviously we're getting getting close to the end of 19 here. But um, Terry, thanks for jumping on and sharing your perspective and, and kind of what's going on at Triumph from your perspective um, on, on, you know, specifically with Triumph stuff, as well as going off off script, so to speak, kind of what we, we were going to talk about and chatting a little bit about uh, growing the industry and these other pieces. I appreciate you jumping on and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, you too. Bye.